Good morning, Summit Church Online. This is your five-minute warning. Five minutes till we get started. God bless. Hey, everybody. Welcome to church. We got about five minutes before the service starts, so here are some church-appropriate dance moves you can do whenever the Spirit moves you. So get on up and let's sweat to some scriptures. Or maybe not. Or just... Here we go. One, two, three, four. Make sure it's on the face. See it on the face. Yeah. Bring it together. Here we go. Let it go. You take the stone. You let it go. You're unhindered by armor. Let that elbow sway. Elbow. Elbow. Elbow, elbow, elbow. One of my personal favorites. Resurrection. You gotta get down to get back. Yeah. Keep working, guys. Keep working. You're doing great. I'm doing great. I'm getting a little tired.
everybody. Good morning, Summit Church. Good morning, Summit Church Online. New family, good to see you guys. We, we're glad to have kids in the house, right? So let's, hey, let's let the inner child come out as we worship Jesus with a childlike heart today. This is a song called This Is Amazing Grace. Johnny's been practicing the lead line all week, so it's going to be really good. Ready? One, two, one, two three.
sad about the kids being back in school? Is that what it is? Praise God! Whatever it is, I'm glad to see so many smiles today. Lord, we welcome you into this place today. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would just meet with us and guide us, speak to us through your word. And God, I just pray a special outreach blessing over this ministry this week, Father, as we reach into our community, as we invite our friends to come into the Alpha Course and hear the gospel and to really get an understanding of what the purpose of life is all about. Lord, give us a courage to ask and invite folks to come and be a part of that. And Lord, just continue to meet with us today. We feel your spirit, Lord. I just feel this joy in the room. So grateful for that today. And Lord, I pray we would just walk in that all week long, that that same joy that's on us right now would be with us on Monday morning. In Jesus' name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up.
good church. Man, that's sweet. I, just, I feel like smiling so big all day because you guys are just reflecting back the joy of the Lord. That's awesome. Well, let's just keep keep this train up, keep this train truck in here, everybody.
love, it is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. Amen. Sing that with me. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. And I will build. Summit Church. Good to see y'all here in in the flesh uh, and on uh, tech world there. Um, you know, I when I first of all, let me start by saying I will be reading out of uh, Isaiah 
Isaiah 11, verse 6. But before I do that, I'd like to mention, when I read this, I didn't know exactly where it was going, but uh, God kind of showed me that uh, in this world right now, with as much anger, division, and all that stuff, uh, it's kind of even hard to imagine a life with harmony and where a brother can hug a brother instead of slap him and you know all that kind of good stuff but listen carefully this says a lot it says in that day the wolf and the lamb will live together the leopard will lie will lie down with the baby goat the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and a little child will lead them all the cow will graze near the bear the cub and the calf will be, lie down together the lion will eat hay like a cow the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra yes a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Obviously, it takes the Lord for us to live in harmony the way he planned it. Just trust in the Lord and he's got this. This is the word of the Lord. I guess for us, we say the coyote will lay down with the prairie dogs. How about that? Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that, but God can do, God can do it. Amen. Let's sing about how great God is in these last few moments together.
study the word too so it's all good it's all like our friend Lilith from Jamaica says it's all good in the neighborhood everybody it's uh so give each other air five or knuckles and greet someone online and welcome everyone and say good to see you in God's house today
if you're joining us online, welcome Summit Church family online. If you'd like to support the ministry, go to mysummitchurch.com, click the donate button, and uh, you can also do that on our Facebook page. You go to mysummitchurch.com and click the donate button. You can also text to give at 303-625-9434. Enter the amount in the text box of your gift. Press send and follow the prompts using your smartphone. And 100% of what you give by text will go to the ministry. And of course, you can mail your gift to Summit Church uh, at 4240 North Perry Park Road, Sedalia, Colorado, 80135. And we'd love to see your letters, cards, and gifts in the mail as well. God bless you guys. We'll get started with the word here in a minute. Turning your Bible with me to the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy. And we're going to get into God's word today. Good morning, church. You excited to be here? We are in the middle of a New Testament study for those who are joining us today for the first time. A couple of house cleaning announcements, everybody. Oh man, we got you started. Now you can't stop. I see how it is. Well, these, thank you. Thank you, John. If you have a Bible, migrate to whoever you're sitting by and turn in your Bible to 1st Timothy is where we're going to get started today. Anybody remember where we studied last week? Remember what book of the Bible we were in last week? We're actually in two books. It was 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Okay, oh, you failed, you failed. That's all right. I win that contest, I guess. That's okay. So today we're, we are looking at 1st Timothy, and I've titled my talk today, Six Pro Tips from Timothy. You ever, you ever watch YouTube channels where you get pro tips, like pro tips on how to change your brakes from a real mechanic? Anybody ever seen anything like that? Or pro tips for skiing for the first time. You right? Rent good equipment. Go to an easy hill. Find a friend that knows how to ski better than you, right? You get pro tips for everything. Pro tips for making the best goulash from, from Hungary, right? Whatever your pro tips are. Well, I'm giving you pro tips for the Christian life, how to be a Christian, and how to be a church leader. And that's really what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy. But before we get into the word today, by the way, we have our fall retreat coming up October 29th and 30th at Rampart View Ranch, about eight miles that way. You can almost see it from here on Rampart Range Road. The cost is $55 per person. Pass these around. If you haven't got one of these yet, don't let cost be a reason why you don't go on this retreat. The retreat is how to, how to get to know the person of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And that's part of this course that we are so excited for on Thursday nights called the Alpha Course. It's halfway through the Alpha Course. So I'm passing all kinds of literature here today. Today I finally have the Alpha Invitations. So take a couple of these. These are, these are like coasters. So feel free to grab a pocket full of these, and when you get to the wide open saloon, just slip a few on the bar tables and use these as, a, use these as an advertisement for Jesus at the local bar or restaurant, okay? Because who knows, some drunk guy might go, oh, wow, church, maybe I should go, right? And maybe when he sobers up, he'll still remember, and he'll get it, and he'll pull it out and go, I think I'll go to that thing. Alpha Course is an amazing 10-week course 
I call it discipleship for the pre-Christian. And it's also a great refresher course for those, maybe it's been a long time since you've read the Bible. Maybe it's been a long time you don't know why you believe what you believe. So the, the first night, the Alpha Invitation starts this coming Thursday night at 6.30. And we've got a great team. If you're on the Alpha team, give me a shout. Give me a yell. If you're on the there's a bunch of us, bunch of us doing it together. We, it's sort of a, every, every night, every Thursday night at 6.30, there's a, a common meal, a community meal, like a potluck. And then at 7 o'clock, there's always a talk. And it's either in talk, like an in-person talk, or it's on video. And the Alpha videos from London are incredible. They're really, really good. And then it ends with a discussion. And we want everyone to come to this. In fact, we, we love for non-believers to come to this. We love for people who have questions about God to come to this. People who don't believe in Christianity at all. Or people who are atheists or agnostic or people who have made up their own faith. You've never met anybody that's made up their own religion? There's a lot of those out there in Colorado, right? I'll just, I'll just kind of salad bar. I'll pick this. I'll get, I won't will take that. I'll pick and choose this. I'll leave that. How many know that God is not the salad bar, right? At the Golden Corral, you know, God is, God is, he, he's the one who gives us the diet we need. We don't just tell him what to do because he's God and we're not, right? So we want, I've been inviting people like crazy, and I know some of you have been inviting folks like crazy to come to the Alpha Course. This Thursday night, even if you don't plan on coming every Thursday, this coming Thursday be a great night to come at least once to check it out and see what Alpha is all about and see how the team is doing it. And before, before you all leave today, after church, I want to go downstairs and pray over the room and just pray God's anointing. I got some anointing oil. We'll pray and just anoint every chair and pray that God's spirit will just dwell over every discussion or every talk, every moment, every meal that we, we share together during the course, that he will just guide the people that are supposed to be there and keep away the people that aren't supposed to be there. Come on, right? And that his spirit will draw people who are supposed to really hear the gospel. So I encourage you, like I said, grab a, a pocket full of these and just give them out to a friend or put them somewhere in a bar or restaurant where people will find it like, oh, I wonder what that is. Yeah, check it out. So that's this Thursday at 6.30. So pro tips to Timothy or from Timothy to the local church. And so what is Timothy about? Well, Paul, the experienced missionary, counsels a young pastor on how to lead the church. That's what First and Second Timothy is. It's a, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul written to his protege, Timothy. And it was written about, around A.D. 63. So this is when many of the, the, uh, the disciples that had walked with Jesus were getting older. Of course, Paul was younger than them. So he lived longer. <laughs> and he was doing more things. As a lot of the old apostles had either been martyred or died out or they'd gone on missionary journeys. And... Where does, the, where does Timothy fit into the whole biblical picture? Well, he wrote 1 Timothy from Macedonia, which is modern-day Turkey, which is part of Greece. And it's most likely after his first imprisonment in Rome. So he'd already experienced some persecution. If you're going to break down this book in, in chapter headings, chapter 1 is about the importance of sound teaching. Chapter 2 talks about prayer and public worship. Chapter 3 talks about choosing church leaders. Chapter 4 talks about confronting false teachers. Chapter 5 talks about relating to various groups in the church or you know, within the church. And chapter 6 is straight talk about money. And then the key concepts of the book are teaching, prayer, elders and deacons, servants of Christ, and being on your guard. You can actually read 1 Timothy in about 10 minutes. So in the shorter amount of time that I'm going to preach about it, you can read the whole book. Right? You can take this in and really uh, 
maybe memorize some of these truths and really apply them to your own life. Here's a few scripture verses, I think, in 1 Timothy that are worth memorizing. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 8. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Chapter 4, verse 12. Another one worth memorizing. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way that you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptations. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That's a, that's a recipe against materialism, huh? And then, of course, Paul, he does have a masculine perspective. There's some a discussion about uh, men and women in leadership. He says, Paul's criteria for elders, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, he said, he would make an interesting checklist for any man. Notice the emphasis on character, reputation, and relationships. God wants us to lead by example and service instead of by taking charge, quote-unquote, or trying to control people. You know, trying to control people doesn't work anyway. You know that, right? When you manipulate people to get your way, they'll end up just doing whatever they want to do. They know what you're trying to do. And you have people try that all the time. Pastors try it all the time, right? Parents, we do it all the time. Right? How many know that you can't trick your kid into cleaning his room, right? Maybe you can incentivize him. Like, you, know, you could have, a, you could have a, like a, an allowance. You know, you could like, hey, if you do this by this time, then we'll go do this, right? You can create a, an incentive structure or you can also create a punishment structure. Like if you don't clean your room, you're grounded, right? Whatever. And you know, God disciplines his kids, just like we discipline our kids. It's not pleasant when we come under the discipline, but it's good for us. It's what we need. <laughs> so tip number one, pro tip number one, and I love this. Some of you saw my grandma last week on the screen, my old Swedish grandma. Keep Christ first place. She used to always say this. She would say, oh, she would take it to my dad, oh, buddy, his name was Bud, or Clarence, but he went by Bud because it was much more American. Oh, buddy, always remember keep Jesus first. Always keep Jesus first. That's true for us today. We always need to keep Christ first place because there's going to be things always vying for our affections and for our loyalties and for our allegiance. You know, I'm a Christian before I'm an American. I am. I'm a Christ follower before I'm anything else. I'm my Heavenly Father's son before I have any political allegiance. Here's what Paul says to Timothy about that. He warns him about false teachers. And he, he says this. He says, don't let teaching that is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time with endless discussions of myths 
and spiritual pedigrees, these things only lead to meaningless speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. In the verse 6, but some people have missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things and spent their time in meaningless discussions. Hello, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, like all the online chat rooms, and, right? They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even, even though they speak with so much confidence. Verse 10, the law is for people who are sexually immoral or those who practice homosexuality, or slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or those who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. He says there's, there's a standard for holiness. And if we're going to be disciples, we're expected <laughs> to at least make an attempt to try to live our lives in a way that pleases God. To always keep Jesus first place. And Paul expresses gratitude for God's mercy in verse 15. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. He said, look, I'm not saying this as if I'm better than you. I am the chiefest. I'm the guy who used to kill Christians. I'm the guy who was the worst of the worst. But thank God for Jesus is what he's saying here. Verse 16, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. This is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Whew. Always keep Jesus first place. Always keep Christ in the center of your mind and your affections and your priorities and what your life is about. And he charges Timothy with this personally here in verse 19. He says, well, I'll back it up, 18. Timothy, my friend, here's my instructions to you based on the pro prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ. Keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. There are a lot of shipwrecked Christians these days. They, they want to create God in their own image. Their version of Jesus. Their version of the Bible. Their interpretation of the scripture. This is not a complicated book. Like if you just read it at face value, it's pretty clear what it means. Like Bible interpretation, the, the, that study is called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is not really complicated. Bible interprets Bible. It means what it says. There are no secret mystical hidden meanings. God is not trying to trick anybody. <laughs> if you open the Bible and read it, it will read you. And you start going, I need to change the way I'm talking. I need to change the way I'm behaving. I need to change the way I'm spending money. I need to change a whole lot of things in my life. My priorities are all messed up. I need to put Jesus first place in my life. That's a pro tip. That's a pro tip. A lot of Christians not living with Jesus as first place. He's just one on the list. Maybe I hope he's at the top of the list most days. Guess what? If he's not at the top of the list, he ain't on your list. He has to be number one. 
God is a jealous God. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't have any other gods before me. Put Jesus where he belongs, on the throne of your heart, on the throne of your life. And hopefully he's on the throne of this church. And he's the real leader. He's the real pastor. He's the real shepherd of this church. We may have leaders and deacons and people who do the work of the ministry, but he's really in charge. We try to let the Spirit guide us and let the Word be the, the filter through which we put our, our thinking and our, our leadership structures and the things that we do. We try to let the Bible be our guide. Tip number two. This is another pro tip. Embrace prayer and gender roles. Embrace prayer and gender roles. Oh, what a hot topic. What a hot topic today, right? I've heard rumor that there's over a hundred genders. Can you believe there are a hundred that you can even be fluid with your gender? You can be a boy in the morning and a woman at night. Or you can be a boy at noontime and a girl in the morning and then a woman again at supper time, but be a old man at nighttime. I mean, that's a little crazy, right? I mean, that's not Bible. God has made us male and female. In his own image, he created them. He didn't create a hundred genders, and God ain't confused. So if somebody's confused, it's not God's fault. Whew. I mean, my wife is going, go, oh, don't say that. It's online. She's worried for me. She's worried for me. That's all right. God is my protector. God's my protector. He always has been. Always will be. Pro tip number two, embrace prayer and gender roles. Here's what Paul says about this for instructions for worship. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that they can live peacefully in quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. That's, we're going to pray for our enemies? Yeah. You got to pray for the guy you didn't vote for? Really? You got to pray that God blesses him and prospers him and, oh, no. I have to love him? You probably don't like him. You got to love him, even if you don't like him. <laughs> Ooh, that's hard. Yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit inside you. Verse 8, he says, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to, the, to themselves by the way they fix their hair, by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do. Real beauty starts on the inside. Because, you know, the outside beauty eventually sort of fades, right? And the strength of men fades. But God made us men and women for a purpose. He wants us to lift holy hands. He wants us to let our good deeds be what makes us attractive and attractional. Now, there is, a, there is a, I would say, a controversial verse here that some of you might read as you're reading and studying this. And I want to try to explain it a little bit. It says, so 
verse 15 says, women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. And when it says women will be saved through, it doesn't mean you're going to get saved because you had kids. You know, that would contradict everything else written in the New Testament. You're not saved because you had a baby. We're saved because Christ died on the cross. We received the impartation of his grace, and we believed on him. He, he saved us because of what Jesus did, not because of anything that we do. So he's not saying that women are saved through childbearing because of childbearing. He's saying they'll, they'll be saved during childbearing. That could be one interpretation. Or maybe not. <laughs> this is Again, this is a controversial one. Or it could also could mean that they will find themselves saved at the end as they embrace their identity in Christ and their gender in Christ. They'll find themselves saved. They'll find that as they live their life for God, they've landed in that place where they've been saved. They'll be saved through it. They've been saved during it. They'll be saved. They'll find themselves saved at the end. Does that make sense? When you embrace who God made you, you're embracing God's best purpose for you. Whether you're a man or a woman or a child, he's got the best plan. He knows what you need even better than you do. He wants good things for you even more than you do. He loves you more than you love yourself. That's amazing because some of us really love ourselves. But he loves you even more than that. And he also loves you enough to correct you and to say, no, no, not that way, this way. And we, it's our job as his sons and daughters to let him do his work of salvation. Another place Paul says, we are, for us who are being saved, the cross is foolishness to those who aren't pursuing God. But to us who are being saved, it's the very power of God. So we are in the process. Yes, we've been saved by grace through faith. It's not at works. Nothing we can do to boast about it. But I'm also, my flesh is being redeemed every day. I am being sanctified as I grow holier and holier and more like Jesus, hopefully. right? If I'm submitting to the process and have a teachable spirit, I'm becoming more like God. I can be a rebel sometimes, though. I can get it wrong. Come on, you have any bad days? Any naughty Christians in here? Yeah, we have, right? God, see us. I see you. Yeah, we got naughty Christians. But Jesus came for the naughty ones. He died for all of us. He wants to sanctify us and make us more like Christ. So, he wants us to keep Jesus first. Embrace prayer and gender roles. And tip number three, to hold a holy standard for church leaders. There is sort of a two-tiered system of leadership as mapped out, and even a three-tiered system if you look at it different ways, the way Paul mapped it out. There, there's really a five-fold ministry office, apostles, teachers, pastors, evangelists, uh, those, those who do miracles, all those, those different roles of people who are gifted in the ministry, anointed to do gospel work. And then there's those who are called to be deacons, or to be helpers, to, to do the work of ministry and to qualify themselves at a level of holiness that we wouldn't expect from Joe Schmo who just walks in off the street. Someone who walks into the church, they don't know Jesus, they have no clue what Christianity is all about. They, they, you know, they, they smoke pot, they live with their girlfriend and they cuss all the time and they don't act like a Christian at all. I'm not gonna expect that that person is gonna act like a Christian because they're a sinner. It's in the job description. Sinners sin, it's what they do. I would expect him to sin because that's what he doesn't know anything else. Right? But for church leaders, we're expected to live at a higher standard, 
to live according to a biblical precedent, a biblical standard. So that's what he's talking about with leaders in the church here in chapter 3, verse 2. It says, so an elder, and for we could say a church leader, we could say a pastor or a deacon or a small group leader or someone who is in a position of teaching, a teacher in the church. So an elder must be a, a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife, must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons, now this would be like someone in the early church, Stephen, who actually was part of the food distribution ministry, who wasn't really preaching the gospel, but he was doing a lot of the, the works of the church. He was doing the helps ministry of the church so the apostles could do the teaching. Those who even do the works uh, in the name of the church must be well respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience before they are appointed as deacons. Let them closely examine if they pass the test. Let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected, must not slander others. They must exercise self-control. Be faithful in everything they do. The deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. See, there's, there's an expectation of leaders. Paul said, not, not many of you should be teachers because don't you know, those who teach are going to be judged at a higher standard. You're going to come under greater scrutiny on the judgment day. <laughs> when, when you start teaching for God or teaching the Word of God, you know that you're standing in a very important place. Because if you say something that's not true or not biblical, not right, you're misrepresenting God. Or even if what you say is correct, but you do it in a hateful way, you're going to be judged for that too. That everything you say should be said in love. The Spirit of Christ on you. The, the, the fruits of the Spirit being manifested in you. Because you know you can be 100% right and still be wrong. Did you know that? You can be technically right, but your attitude is wrong. You're not loving. You're not gracious. You're not kind. So Timothy, he says, uh, and what we can see here is that he was a timid leader. He was young. He was kind of afraid to take charge because he's like, I'm not sure. These people are older than me. They know more than me. I'm not sure. I don't know what, what I should do. And Paul said, no, no, Timothy. Hey, hey. You're called as a leader. Remember, we laid our hands on you. Don't, don't, don't let people look down on you. So Timothy struggled with fear and, and hesitation. So Paul admonished him to be bold for Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated by people. Here's what it says uh, in my study Bible here about the not-so-private lives of elders. He said, an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. And then he goes straight into a person's private home and private life. Apparently there's no place for play-acting in church leadership. This work belongs to people of integrity who have already passed life's most demanding test, the one closest to home. I've heard it said this way, the first member of my church as a pastor is that lady sitting in that pew over there. 
Kim. She's member number one. And if she's not doing well, I'm failing as a pastor. Because she's my wife, the mother of my children. She, after Christ, needs to take the first place in my life. I love the ministry. I love the rest of you. But I love her more. She's the priority, right? And that's how it ought to be for you as husbands and wives for each other. And that's the priority relationship. And it's put up or shut up time sometimes. There's moments when you're going to have to make the sacrifice and say, nope, sorry, I can't do that. I have a previous commitment because this person is the most important person. But I've decided to do. And then it makes some of those decisions easier. It's like, no, can't do it. And I know where my priorities lie. I always keep Jesus first place. Right? And then the one that he's partnered with me in life. You know? So that's, that's a great tip for church leaders to live a life of holiness, to have a standard. In your, in the, and you got to pass the family test. you got to pass the family test. Because if you're a different person at church than you are at home, if we would ask your kids, should you be a church leader? And they go, what? A church leader? Are you kidding me? Do you know what my dad does at home? And we're like, yeah, maybe we should not think about installing you as a church leader just yet. Maybe you need to grow up in your discipleship. You're drinking a little too much. Maybe that little pyramid scheme you got going to try to build people for money, maybe that's not so good. I heard your kid, your teenager got arrested last night. What would you see to your household before you start trying to lead all the small groups? Take a... Take, take a not that you'll never get to it, but hey, let's make sure we qualify ourselves and live according to a holy standard. Then you're ready for leadership. People disqualify themselves for leadership all the time. They would lead if they could lead, right? If they could get their act together. But if you're not living a life that's worthy of following, why would anybody follow you? And why would we want to install you as a leader? Because you're not living according to the standard that anyone should follow, Right? Ooh, it's getting quiet now because we're all feeling that, right? We all feel that. Ooh, I know, but I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect. No person is. And if you had to be perfect to be used by God, nobody could be used by God. Right? Including the one who's saying this to you. But when there's something that's taking control of your life, then it's time to take a time out and go, I need to get this under control so I can qualify myself for the calling that God has called me up to. That make sense? So if I need some, some time away or some therapy or I need to go through a 12-step program or I need to do whatever I need to do to get these things in order, then I will do those things. Amen? A leader is willing to make the sacrifice to qualify him or herself for church leadership. And if the church would do that more in today's life, in today's world, we'd have a much more respectable church. People would walk into church and go, man, these people, they really love God. They really love God. They're not just singing great songs. And they really love the Lord. Look how they live. Look how they talk. Look at their kids. Wow. Look at their finances. Look at the, look at the way their businesses glorify God and help people. That's amazing. I want to be like that. Right? Hopefully we can be those kinds of people. Chapter 4, he talks about false teachers and being a bold leader. As I was saying, Timothy was timid. So pro tip number four, avoid false teachers and be a bold leader. Here's what he says in verse three of chapter four. He says, they will say that it is wrong to be married. He's talking about these false teachers. 
And they'll say it's wrong to be married or wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God in prayer. See, there were Judaizers in the church who were saying to Christians, these Greek Christians, no, no, no. You have to be circumcised. You have to start eating kosher. You have to start letting the hair in your temples grow. You have to convert to Judaism, and then you can be a Christian. I mean, no, you, you don't become a Christian <laughs> by becoming a Jew first, right? It's by grace we're saved through faith. No other means, not through a religious exercise or a ceremony. So that's what these false teachers were saying. It was Jesus plus. Plus you got to do some other stuff. No, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. And so Paul, he's just saying to Timothy, he's like, he's kind of admonishing how to be a leader. Uh, verse 8, he says, Physical training is good, but training for the godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all the people, and particularly of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example. We've read this already. Skipping down here to verse 14. It says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation, for the salvation of those who hear you. Avoid false teachers. Be a bold leader. And be a holy leader. Be a person that really reflects the goodness, the grace, the righteousness of Christ. Chapter 5, pro tip number 5, care for the widows and honor church leaders. He, he gave some advice about what kind of women should be in the feeding program. <laughs> There's, there are lots of widows in the church, and he's speaking like, hey, we need to treat one another not as if like this is some kind of Amway convention or some kind of marketing situation. We're all trying to like, you know, need to treat each other like a family. This is in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, never speak harshly to an older man but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. And treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents for taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. And he goes on to give more description, like a widow should be at least 60 years old. She needs to be in a position where there's no one else. She's truly alone in the world. If she's going to receive financial help from the church, you know, it's a sort of a last resort. If this woman's truly alone, then it's our job as a, as a church family to take care of this woman who has no one else to help her. And that's, a, that's great advice. Verse 11, he says, younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires can overpower the devotion to Christ and they'll want to remarry and they would be guilty of breaking their own previous pledge. Verse 16, if a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. 
Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard as, at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you must not muzzle the ox and keep it from eating as it treads the grain. And in other places, says, those who work deserve their pay. In my study Bible, Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, says this so powerful. He says, one man cannot do it all. But one man with a lifetime can be enough of an example to have someone follow in his footsteps. One man can't do it all. But you can do enough of setting an example so other people can do the same work you did. And maybe even do it better than you did. <laughs> even more fruitful in the work you did because you set the example and we learn from our mistakes, right? And organizations hopefully are learning from their mistakes. And then I love this, this uh, advice in verse 22. He says, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. Remember the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. Are there others whose sins will not be revealed until later? In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. So it's God's job to reveal secret sin. It's God's job to expose what's wrong. And, and as a church, yes, we do need to discipline leaders if they're not behaving correctly, and even discipline ourselves, submit ourselves to discipline. You go, you know, I need help in this area. I need, a, I need some time to, to unplug and... Re refresh, renew my commitment and be, become the leader God wants me to be. And there's nothing wrong with soul care. There's nothing wrong with self-care. There's nothing wrong with unplugging and saying, I need help. If more Christians and more church leaders would say, hey, I'm broken in this area. I need some help. We'd have a much healthier leadership in the American church for sure. Tip number six, pro tip, final tip. True wealth is in God's kingdom. Worldly wealth is a tool or Pro tip number six, you could say it this way. Get a kingdom wealth view. Get a kingdom wealth worldview. See, a lot of people think, falsely, that money equals wealth. Or money equals prosperity. Well, money's a part of it, right? But it's not. You know, if you had cancer in the ICU, all the money in the world could not get you out of that place. Tell me that health is part of prosperity, right? You know, if, if you had all the money in the world, but your marriage was in the tank... All the money in the world would not fix that broken marriage, right? So a good marriage is part of prosperity. Come on, somebody. God wants us to prosper, even as our soul prospers. And so he talks about false teachings about true riches. He says, teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachers promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person is an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. Of course, many of these false teachers were preaching for financial gain. They were trying to bilk the church for money, but they didn't really love the church. They didn't really care about people. Verse 6, he says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. It says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptations. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And he gives some final instruction. He says, fight the good fight of the true faith. You know, being a Christian ain't easy. <laughs> you don't just wake up and go, this is easy. <laughs> no, living for God will, will be one of the best things, but also one of the hardest things. Because you're swimming against the stream. It says, hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you've declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until the Lord Jesus comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. And all honor and power to him forever. Amen. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you and with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. And that's First Timothy. You hear a message like this, you go, the Christian life, man. <laughs> Ooh, that ain't easy. No, it's impossible. It really is. You can't do it. You can only do it with the Spirit in you. And there are no perfect churches. You know there's no perfect church? Because the church is made up of people. Hello? In fact, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. Because you will ruin it. Because you're not perfect. If you find the perfect person, just, just quietly step out and go, that's amazing. <laughs> I can't ruin this. This got a good thing going here. I better, I, was, I can't be like this. I'm sorry. You guys are too wonderful. Right? I know. I, I'll never be able to go to church with perfect people. I just go, I won't fit in. And if a church that thinks they're perfect, well, we got even bigger problems. We got even bigger problems. Well, I'm going to finish with the gospel. G-O-S-P-E-L. G. God created us to be with him. Oh, our sins separate us from God. S. Sins can't be paid for by doing good deeds. P. Paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again. E. Everyone who trusts in Christ can have eternal life. L. Life eternal, it begins the moment you say yes to Jesus and it lasts for all eternity. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, come in the room or you're on the, on the feed here today on one of our various platforms. The prayer that you pray is very simple. It's just making the exchange. It's saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please come into my heart. I, I call it STP like the old racing company, but sorry, thank you, please. 
Let's pray that prayer for those who might be praying it today for the first time. Say this. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So glad you joined me here today. I have one final alpha promo video to show you. If you want a link to this particular video, I can shoot it to you over text and we can make all that happen. But this is a great invitation video that you might want to show to some friends to get them here on Thursday night. Max, will you press play on that beautiful bean footage? Yes. All right, if you'll stick around or help come downstairs, I'd love to pray over that room downstairs before we leave, but I'll sign off with the audience here online. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you, lift your countenance, and give you his peace. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Awesome. If you want to partner with the ministry, you can do it online or hit the box in the back. Glad you came today. God's blessings on you. Let's go downstairs and pray over the Alpha Room, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember... God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.